This season of Life on a Plate is sponsored by Bart Ingredients, whose extensive range of quality herbs, spices, seasonings and pastes are all available at Waitrose. Bart offers so many simple, delicious ways to elevate your cooking. From aromatic whole spices to handy blends and pastes such as Ra's El Hanout or black garlic paste, they'll help you build incredible depth of flavour and create beautiful dishes. What's more, with over 50 years of experience working with producers all over the globe, Bart's guarantee their ingredients are grown and harvested responsibly with care for people and the planet. So whether you're just starting out on your cooking journey or you're, forgive the pun, a seasoned chef, you can relax and trust Bart to open up a world of exciting flavour. Go to waitrose.com forward slash Bart to discover the range. Hello and welcome to the second season of Life on a Plate, the podcast from Waitrose. In each episode, we talk to some very special people about what food means to them, asking about their comfort foods and favorite dishes, their food memories and go-to ingredients, and finding out a lot more about each of our guests in the process. How are you, Alison? You all right? Yeah, I'm all right, thank you. How about you? Pretty good, pretty good. Obviously, still feeling optimistic, still feeling okay. Days are getting longer. (laughs) Yes, that is always a good thing. Sunlight, all those things, all the spring Mm. things. Um, I want you to tell me what you have been cooking and what you've been up to. And I I wonder if your nosiness is uh, contagious, your about food is contagious, (laughs) and I'm picking up on it. So come on then, what have you been cooking? What are people eating and what they do? So I've been doing quite a lot of batch cooking because one of my sisters is a nurse in the NHS, and so she's been working well, really intense time. So I've been doing kind of lots of meals that can go in the freezer so I can do a weekly food drop round so that she's got some easy dinners at the end of a shift. It's kind of meals that are all in one. So there's quite a lot of beef casseroles and stroganoffs and vegetarian dals. Oh, that must be really great. Is she completely grateful? Does she ever get like, oh, could you vary the menu a little bit? Or is she kind of, uh, or is she just like, whatever you send me is great? No, it's whatever I put in the bag. Um, she seems to enjoy. And I'm like, I'm, I'm quite, I'm more critical about it than she is. But no, it's good. You know, I enjoy it. And, uh, it, you know, I get something after it. It's something nice to do, especially, especially when we were in the height of lockdown. Yeah. All, all the yeah. lockdowns. It's, it's, it's been something really positive to do. And you feel like, it's something you're doing to support people that really do need it. Yes. And I know her ward never object to if I put a few lemon dressing cakes or brownies or anything baked kind of just gets inhaled there too. So that's that's also kind of feeding them on the wards as well. Yes, which handily, of course, is a nice and neat little segue into today's fantastic guest. Mm-hmm. We have got Tamal Ray, who, of course, was a finalist in the Great British Bake Off in 2015, one of the breakout stars of that series. Um, He is a Guardian recipe columnist. And uh, crucially and fascinatingly, he is also an NHS doctor who, throughout this challenging period, has been working right on the front line 
as somebody who knows the NHS, how do you feel about this one? I just, you know, it just fascinates me about how they just sustain themselves to keep going. You know, my sister kind of gets the meals that I've been delivered, but, you know, is he cooking for himself? What support does he get? What does he eat at the end of a busy shift? Yeah. You know, how's he managed this last year? Yeah, I, I think as well, just balancing the careers. Like, mm. you know, I think of him as this real you know, recipe baking star. Like I love his food and he's done bits of broadcasting work, but he's still in the thick of it. Like, what is it like? Are people recognizing him? Are people asking him for recipes or how to kind of solve an issue they've got with their, uh, with their brownies? Like, I really want to know how those two worlds kind of um, dovetail or how they clash. And he was in the final with Nadia. And so we've heard Nadia's side of it. So it'd be good just to hear his take of what Bake Off was like. Yes. Right. So let's get to it then. Uh, Here is our conversation with Tamal Ray. Tamal Ray, thank you so much for joining us. You were just saying it's been quite a hectic year, a hectic period. What has that looked like? I mean, I've got a sense of it, but but please lay it out for us. Yeah, so um, I guess my day job is I'm an anaesthetist, so kind of been on the forefront um, of dealing with stuff with the pandemic. We had a period of a few weeks where it was just crazy, like every shift was just constant bleeps with referrals of people. Mm. Ordinarily, we would have taken them to intensive care for monitoring, Mm. but just because we didn't have space, we were we were managing these people on the ward and only bringing them into intensive care when we absolutely had to. And then after that initial phase, because um, when people get really unwell with coronavirus, they just take ages to get better. Yeah. Mm. And so it was a much calmer period at work, but just sort of a strange experience because you're actually, in some ways, we were less busy because we weren't doing our normal surgeries. So we didn't have our normal theatre lists. We were only looking after these patients mm. in intensive care. Um so yeah, I'm I'm looking forward as everyone else is to getting back to some some normality. I'm yeah. a bit bored of walks. Uh, <laughs> yeah, done with the park. I know what you mean. I feel like it's completed yeah. every outdoor space in the country. Yeah. Um, you wrote a fantastic piece about baking throughout the kind of height of of the pandemic and sort of working on the front line and cooking and baking. And obviously a lot of people, most people will know you for your baking work, your um, recipe column in the guardian and your starring role and semi-final <laughs> finalist, finalist, finalist place, yeah, on, on, um, Bake, Off, on yeah. Bake Off in 2015. <laughs> Talk us through the position it's taken up for you, your relationship with cooking and baking through this thing. Cause it sounds like it's been a total lifeline. Like it has for a lot of us. Yeah, I think, how I got into baking was kind of, you know, I've always liked, you know, being creative and doing Mm. other stuff on the side. And so baking has always kind of been for me, this other outlet uh, to the rest of my life. Like uh, when, when other things are getting stressful, my partner says um, like when I'm cooking or when I'm baking, it's almost like meditation watching me because I'm just sort of in my own zone. I'll have the radio on and I'm just doing my stuff. And I used to, I used to spend my weekends like every Sunday would be a cooking day where I'd like spend the morning getting loads of ingredients and then I'd make all this like ridiculous amounts of food <laughs> and I'd spend like six hours, seven hours in the kitchen. I remember my flatmate at the time being like, this is a Sunday that doesn't look particularly relaxing. <laughs> <laughs> How did you um, continue writing your Guardian column through both lockdowns or all the lockdowns and when work was so busy and shopping was so hard? I mean, I guess, so I normally work 
part time. So I I get asked quite a lot by other doctors sometimes because training is quite training as a junior doctor can be quite busy and hectic. There's all the work that you have to do when you're actually mm. in work, and then there's all the stuff on the side that you have to be doing when you're at home. And I'll get you know junior doctors asking me like, oh, how do you manage to balance balance your time? Like, how do you do it? <laughs> Thinking that I'll have some you know, incredible, incredible like, time management strategy that they've just never heard of. I'm like, oh, yeah, actually, I'm, I'm just part time. Um, although during the pandemic, during the worst bit of it, um, I went to being full time because they basically asked us um, mm. if we could. I think, I mean, I guess the way I managed to do it was that I just had nothing else to do in my yeah. social time. So actually had all this free time to bake where I would have normally been doing other uh, things like seeing family and friends um and so that actually it gave me i guess it it focused my life into sim- in simpler ways of just it's literally just work and baking mm. um and netflix <laughs> yeah, yeah and i guess as you were saying that actually you find that the way to wind down and because you're not doing the same recipe over and over again i guess that probably helped you as well mentally just yeah i mean it, yeah it definitely helped um i think it always helps like having that just that other outlets, like something completely different that's completely separate. And it's a completely separate way of thinking as well. Um, because medicine, you know, there are lots of things that I love about it, but it's, it's definitely not creative in any way. And actually mm. a lot of being a good doctor is about um, patterns and doing the same thing over and over again. Mm. Uh, and I guess baking is, to an extent, if you're following recipes, you know, the ones that relax you are the ones that you you know so well that you could kind mm. of do them with your eyes closed without even reading the recipe book. Uh, recipe testing by comparison can be quite stressful and annoying. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to know which things were kind of particularly challenging or in, in terms of trying to nail certain recipes and yeah, talk us through the things that you've been baking. So I guess this is quite apt for this podcast. Like I remember one Waitrose used to do this thing called a, a raspberry Namura, uh, which is like this sort of little Middle Eastern cake. And I remember mm. trying to re- recreate that. I was like, oh, it's so delicious. It must be quite simple to do. And I tried, I think for days, trying to recreate <laughs> this recipe and just could not do it. And it drove me absolutely bananas because the more I like failed at it, the more I was like, what am I doing wrong? And I just, yeah. I just could not do it. You didn't yeah. crack it in the end. No, you did not crack it. Maybe maybe I can get some into higher knowledge yeah. on what the secret yeah, recipe is. Yeah, yeah what it is. What, what did you do with all the bakes along the way, kind of the prototypes? Are you able to take them into the into work? I don't I, I hardly ever take any of the prototypes into work, mainly because um I think having been on Bake Off, mm. I get asked to bake, you know, a lot for work kind of predictably. <laughs> Which is fine, and I'm happy to do it, but it's also I feel like it's a lot of pressure because I remember what it's what it was like being a viewer watching those shows, you know, watching Bake Off, mm. watching MasterChef, and you're just like, oh my god, like it makes you hungry watching those shows, and you think, oh, it must be the best thing ever. So when I bake stuff, I'm kind of like, well, it has to be the best thing ever, or people are going to be really disappointed. Most of the rejects, like me and my partner, eat them. Uh, they don't, I don't even give them to my neighbours because I'm like, oh no, they're not, they're not good enough to be seen by the outside world. <laughs> I wonder if part of this is that like Bake Off has like scarred you slightly, like in terms of the judgment. Uh, like you sort of, uh, yeah, like the, it's raised the bar so much that you're. Yeah, just I mean, it like, absolutely, yeah. it absolutely mm. does, and also in the way that people, you know, normally, like if you were to make a cake for someone, they'd be like, oh, thank you for making this cake, and they'd eat the cake <laughs> and they'd smile, like even if yeah. they didn't like the cake. Whereas now, 
everyone comments like, oh yes, you know, it's it's a good crumb, you know, it's very <laughs> very moist, blah blah. blah. And I kind of think like, okay, I don't want your review, like yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the other thing is, if 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 they know it's just a trial and it's not the final dish, they'll go, oh, actually, it needs a little bit more lemon, or it needs a little bit more, or it could be cooked in the oven. You get some yes. real critical feedback too, which you just say, just don't think that's really helpful because I know <laughs> yeah. it. Because sometimes, and also some of this is like different tastes, I think as well. I notice that, and because I I tend to use salt quite a lot in a lot of my bakes, even the sweet things. Um, just as not that you want, and you sometimes you do want to taste the salt. You know, if you're making some some of those dark chocolate cookies, yeah, a little bit of sea salt on top can be really nice. But mm. sometimes, especially with like caramels and things like that, just a tiny bit of sauce, it just helps the much. sweetness. Yeah, exactly. I notice that sometimes when other people make things and I try them and I, and I think to myself, like, oh, I'd, I would put a bit of salt in this. But actually, <laughs> that's just my personal taste rather mm. than a review on what is good and what isn't. Yeah. yeah. What are the things that you bake that bring back memories of growing up? Well, I guess whenever I'm baking something like cookies, like it, I grew up baking with my sister. Uh, mm. So she had this recipe book. It was basically photocopied for some from some book, seventies book that she uh, had from school when she was a kid, and that was like our one of our baking bibles at home. And I look back on it now, and like, oh, the recipes actually weren't that great. Like the cookies in it were really <laughs> dry and crumbly, and not. I I would hate them now if someone made them for me, um, but they do. It does really bring back those memories every time I make cookies, and now she's got kids and. Um, you know, they're both, well, they're a bit older now. Um, my nephew's 13 and my niece is eight. And my nephew's definitely in that, like, sort of moody teenager, just leave me alone to my TikTok videos. Why are you bothering me, old man? <laughs> um, but the one thing that will definitely get him back and engaged is cooking. And actually, over lockdown, he's become like this little chef. He makes, I think he makes like three or four of their dinners every week. Oh, that's fantastic. That's really great. And he goes for quite complicated, like he's got into East Asian cooking, so he wants to make dim sum and things like that. And I guess that's kind of how, that's kind of how I got into cooking. I, I feel like, you know, and you must have this constantly, but people must feel like they know you so well because, you know, <laughs> I watched that series and I remember you from there and I remember your comic asides and I remember feeling like, oh, yeah, Tamal, he's basically one of my friends. Um, do you do you have that a lot? Do you have kind of people that have this kind of intimacy with you and they feel like they kind of have that connection even after all these years? Yeah, a little bit. It's still, I mean, it was a few years ago now. It was 2015. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of always surprised uh, when people still recognize me from Bake mm. Off. Um, and also, especially during the pandemic, because we're always wearing masks. Yes. And I, I, of course. I struggle to recognize sometimes people at, well, when you're dressed for theater as well, you have a mask on, but then you've also got a surgical hat, so you can't see mm. people's hair. Um, so you can't actually see very much of their face. And I've had, <laughs> patients and staff like recognize me and I kind of think like how <laughs> <laughs> um yeah maybe I've just got memorable eyes I don't know um no it is nice I had someone actually like a, another junior doctor came up to me when I was having my lunch the other day actually I was like oh you far from Bake Off we had a nice little chat and it yeah it's nice I think it's a good it can be a really good icebreaker I think because as a mm. As yeah. a junior doctor, you move jobs because you move hospitals to get different experience quite a lot. Um, and some of my rotations are three months long, which is mm. really, really short. 
um, and it be, can be quite nice um, as like a way of just getting to know people and just starting off conversations. And also with mm. patients, sometimes uh, people are often very nervous before they have an operation. Yeah, of course. Um, and it can be a nice way of just kind of distracting, you know, chatting about <laughs> Mary Berry and what their favourite cake is, and, you know, that sort of stuff. What are some of the weirder moments that someone has recognised you? I guess, because as an anaesthetist, we work on labour ward um, and the stuff that can go wrong. And when it goes wrong, it can go wrong quite quickly for people. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, an alarm gets pulled, everyone runs into the room and we've, we've got a lot of things to say to the patient. I have had situations where they've, you know, whilst trying to consent someone for an anaesthetic, they've been like, oh, you got that guy from Bake Off. And I've kind of got like, this is not the time. We can talk about this in recovery. Yeah. <laughs> Just start quizzing you about why there, why something isn't rising yeah. properly. Or yeah. uh, tomorrow, could you just help me with these cookies? Yeah. Um, one of the things that um, that really fascinates me about Bake Off in the context of you and Nadia, who obviously won the year you were on, uh, people like Ruby Tando and Liam, and it's been a really great, almost like an incubator for recipe writers and food kind of talent, and it's kind of diversified the you know the landscape in a really like incredible way like and it seems to have had this incredible impact is that something that you're that you've been aware of that you sort of think of yeah I guess so I mean uh, the thing about Bake Off like it's so well cast I think in terms of getting a diverse group of people yeah um, yeah from kind of all sort of walks of life and so I guess it has given a platform to people in mm. not that you know bakers could be all sorts of different people and actually i kind of see that at work all the time as well yeah. like the sort of people who bake uh the nurses the doctors like people who've come from all over the world yeah mm. variety of backgrounds traditions yeah. and that is really yeah it's a really lovely thing to see mm. um but i remember in when we were filming the final episode of bake off for the three of us in the final i remember saying to nadia like Hey, have you noticed it's like sixty-six percent Bengali final? Like, this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> we're like, wow, look at this representation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's incredible. Like domination. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, Nadia, who has been on the podcast and was a fantastic guest, I always want to say friend of the pod. I've always wanted to say that. I think she'd probably <laughs> allow us yeah. to say that. She was talking about the fact that you know when she entered the world of. Um, broadcasting and you've done some of that and recipe writing and kind of working professionally in food that she kind of initially tried to fit into the mold of what was there and it was a later revelation that she realized she had to sort of make space and be herself and do things on her own terms did you go on a similar journey or I think yeah definitely I definitely feel that and I think and I would say I, I feel very much I'm still on that journey mm. um because I suppose what I do in terms of medicine still takes up, you know, it takes up a lot, a mm. lot of my life. Um, writing the columns, and I think trying to find a voice that feels unique. You know, mm. my actual text that I write for my, you know, my recipes for the Guardian are mostly my recipes, but I try and tell a little story for each one. And I think just sitting down to write, and sometimes I feel like, ah, oh, you know. I'll write something and be like, oh, I feel like I'm just, I'm emulating in terms of tone, the writing that, that I love and that I've read. And I think it's, it's a hard thing to do when you're sort of 
relatively newer, although I guess I've been doing this for a few years now, to try and find like what is your own voice and not feel like you're emulating other people. And I, that's definitely something that I've noticed in other people's writing. Like Ruby Tando, you mentioned, especially like I've kind of followed her work and it's really amazing and wonderful to see like, you know, she started off as a great writer, but to see how she's grown and developed her style as a writer, yeah, I find yeah. really inspiring. And I would say I'm still, I'm still trying to kind of, discover that and translate that I guess that's kind of the way you always be as a as a writer or someone trying to create you're constantly trying to like get better yeah how are you introduced to cooking was it through uh, a particular cookbook or member of the family maybe so I guess um food was kind of always a really important part of our household so um Mm. my family is Bengali so West Bengali um Mm based in Calcutta and most of our family still lives in Calcutta our culture of food is it was always really central to kind of Mm -hmm. the family and having this uh big spectacle of a meal and definitely when now when all our family you know my sister and I go back home with our partners and we're all gathered under the same roof my mum will make these massive spreads of meals my Mm. partner um he's English and he was he was saying how uh that's one of the things he really loves about the way my mum will cook a meal like there'll be like mm. a million different things he loves the variety on the table mm. um mm. i say my mum definitely although it was my sister who kind of got me into baking i would yeah. say it was my mum who's been this real influence um in food and that you you know you should take care uh you should take your time when you're preparing food and kind of going into the craft of making food although my mum my mum is not a baker um my mum is uh, a cook and I think the distinction for me is that my mum, she doesn't use recipes. And my mum is one of those Mm. people who will open up a cupboard, see a whole load of ingredients and be like, okay, I can, I'll make this, 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 and I'll do a bit of this. (laughs) She'll just instinctively cook. Yeah, absolutely. She'll instinctively cook and she'll try new things. Like when she makes, she made Christmas dinner a few years ago and like one of the dishes was this roasted fruit thing. And she had like mango and pineapple with the turkey. I was like, wow. we're all eating this. I'm like, this is really good. Like this is really <laughs> tasty and definitely not traditional. And so she was like that, that desire to kind of experiment and tinker around in the kitchen. I definitely get from her. Um, although she, she has tried, I would, the reason I would say she's a cook and rather than a baker, she will try and do that same uh, spirit of invention <laughs> with baking, uh, which is fine, but it's because with baking you're you're creating structure with your bake. You're taking stuff that's very pure in terms of refined ingredients, and so you're not just creating a new flavor. You're creating a new structure, and so if you tinker around with things for flavor, you can really affect the structure. And so she made me a birthday cake, <laughs> I think for my tenth birthday or maybe my ninth birthday, and she read this recipe and she was like, oh. Too much butter, too much eggs, and so cut them both in half. And it was a really, you know, it wasn't a great cake. And I think, oh, me, was it a frisbee? Got, well, yeah, it was dry. I can, I can still remember how dry it was. <laughs> and me and my sister, I don't, I don't remember us being that rude, but we were obviously rude enough that she didn't make me another cake She's for about starred. twelve years. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> so, does, so where did your, if your sister learned to bake, who taught her? How did she learn? How did she then be able to teach you? Yeah, good question. I think she learned when she she's a bit older than me. So when she was going okay. through school, um, she had like home economics class. Okay. And so she was taught a bit at school. And I guess my mum must have done 
must have baked some of those things for her uh, or with her when she was little. Um, but yeah, I've got really, really fond memories of me and my sister baking like every summer holiday. Uh, I remember us flicking through one of these books and she was like, oh, well, you know, you can choose what we'll make whatever's in this. And I chose Eclairs and she looked at us like, Oh. Yeah, we're not going to make those. Those are too complicated. <laughs> and now I can make those and I love making make. those. But I guess that, that photocopied book that she taught mm. you from, they'd have had some really good techniques in. They might not have been really good tasting recipes, but I guess it's mm. a good way to learn the basics. Yeah, 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 and absolutely. And it was kind of like the comprehensive basics. You know, there's all, they were all in there, you know, fairy cakes and things like that. Are all mm. in that and short crust pastry up. and, yeah. Yeah and pineapple upside down cake and all of that um oh, amazing. so yeah i guess it's all the fundamentals although it's really interesting she never bakes anymore i was uh, yeah i was going <laughs> to ask this was there a point at which you kind of surpassed her and that was you know it's like yeah the apprentice Sibling has become rivalry, the master and kind of thing and and that was it a handing over the torch or was it just she just lost interest i mean i guess she yeah i guess she must have just lost interest after mm. sort of leaving home and you know when she first started working, I guess, because it's my brother-in-law now who does, you know, a lot of the cooking um, mm. in their house. I think for me, when when I kind of, things stepped up a gear in terms of what I was like baking at home was when I went to university. Mm. Um, mm. And because uh, I was at medical school in London, uh, money was really tight. And so I wanted to eat good food because I'd grown up in a household where we ate well, but my mum yeah. always did it on a budget. <laughs> Uh, and so I wanted to bake, but I wanted to do it on a budget. And I remember um, I lived with a couple of people who'd done a year in Paris as part of their degree. And wow. they came back and they were talking about this new thing I'd never heard of, macarons. And they were like, oh, these mm. things are amazing. And so I went out to try and buy some macarons and just saw how ludicrously expensive they were. Uh, and so I like started, I was like, well, I definitely can't afford that. And also they just can't be that hard to make mm. uh, to warrant those prices and that's where I started like teaching myself how to make other things when I was at um, med school my sister got married and they weren't going to have a wedding cake which I thought was ridiculous because uh, you know it's clearly the most important thing of the day uh, mm-hmm. and so I learned how to make a wedding cake from this amazing book and also there was a, a local shop it was like a cake decorating shop and so I would go in there to buy equipment but also just chat to the people who ran the shop and the people who bought things from the shop so it'd be you know these little old ladies telling mm-hmm. me like oh you know you need to buy these dowlings for you know stacking wow. the cake and that sort of stuff yeah it all stepped up a gear at uni one thing about you tomorrow you seem to have such a great calmness about you and uh you know you sort of bring a real sort of humor to to what sound like quite stressful situations is that is that a natural trait have you always been relatively kind of steady and able to sort of see the bigger picture or is it something that you've learned how to do but i guess so i i'd say i'm quite an introspective person and i always have been some of the conversations I would have as like a little kid, I remember my sister saying to me, like, you overthink these things. Like, mm-hmm. you, you need to think about this less. Um, <laughs> but I think, I don't know, I guess there's what's going on inside and there's how you present to the world. And one of my bosses, I've just done this exam, like the like one of my uh, last exams is in, in Eastis, hopefully my last exam is in Eastis. Um and one of my old bosses was saying to me, like, well, what is the job 
what do people look to an anaesthetist for in those emergency situations? And she was saying, what you need to do is exude calm and be logical and have an order because in a bad situation, you've often got everyone stressed, but you need to be the point of you know, focus and calm. And mm-hmm. inside, you can be thinking, oh my God, this is the worst thing ever. Isn't this terrible? <laughs> like, God, I wish I wasn't here. But the outside needs to exude this calm. And I guess in those moments, I kind of sort of, I I guess I sort of focus on stepping outside myself a little bit. And I've always been a bit like that. And I kind of, I tried to be like that on Bake Off. uh, Yeah. Because I definitely spent a lot of time very, very stressed (laughs) on Bake Off. (laughs) Um, But actually, I think being like sort of, letting yourself go into the zone of like what the work that you have to do is that's what helps me to calm down I think and kind of keep your focus small I guess when everything else around you is going crazy and is uh, chaotic yeah yeah does that come back to something that cooking and baking can do as well in terms of shrinking things down making them manageable is that something Mm -hmm. that you have felt yeah definitely I think it's I guess there's a commonality there in terms of having that time on your own to sort of focus and I guess you know yeah I guess it kind of is like meditation and mindfulness Mm -hmm. and like the the baking and the cooking is kind of practice in a way um because it's also internal in that way of sort of that self-focus I guess it kind of prepares you in a way for when you have to do it in other situations. I'm, I'm fascinated while baking is great for kind of calming and, and mental. How do you balance the health with baking? Interesting. I, mean, I feel like the uh, the balance between health and baking, I think I am, um, <laughs> I, I don't think I'm navigating brilliantly in the moment. So I've put on <laughs> loads of weight in the last year. And the job that I do, um, a lot of you know, so I, I'm an anaesthetist for mm. anyone having any type of surgery, but a lot of people who need surgery um, have, it's kind of from a, from chronic disease. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of chronic disease is, is lifestyle based, you know, mm. it's, mm-hmm. um, it's diet, it's where, you know, maybe a lack of diet, a uh, balanced diet, a lack of exercise, things like smoking, uh, which are habits actually that are really easy to fall into for yeah. anyone, especially if you're busy. Um, and I notice, I don't want to demonize any foods because I think actually that's also unhelpful. Uh, yeah. You know, there are things that we, the treats that we all enjoy having, but I guess it's about having moderation and balance. And I think for me, uh, I do have a real sweet tooth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so trying to find that balance and I think especially you know because there's some compulsory sweet eating that I have to do every month in order to do the column <laughs> yeah, um, it's literally your job it's amazing yeah exactly <laughs> leave me to eat my cakes in peace it's my job <laughs> um a lot of anaesthetists are really super healthy as well it's kind of this stereotype mm-hmm. that anaesthetists love coffee and cycling and oh. so I work with like a lot of people whose favorite you know fabric type is lycra uh, <laughs> so into their exercise um and i'm not yeah definitely i'm not cut from that cloth and i have a a doughier physique um <laughs> so i'm still trying to find that balance i think is there a savory go-to dish that you might cook in the evenings 
I go through phases. So I went through a phase of making like more Bengali recipes, like stuff yeah. that I grew up with. So like I like most bog standard meal would be like the chicken curry that my mum makes, which is uh, I guess kind of a stew with uh, like relatively simple flavors, but cumin, turmeric, onions, garlic, ginger. Um, and that would be kind of be like warming that comforting. recipe. I think, yeah, I think that recipe more than anything says home to me. Yeah. But then in terms of what we make and what we eat, it's quite varied, I think. I think we it changes very much based on, uh, I guess, the mood that we're in. Um, but we also, my boyfriend had this really nice idea that now that I'm free of revision, uh, we're going to do, because we can't travel anywhere, we can't go anywhere. It was like, oh, why don't we go go to places with food? Like, nice. Why don't we pick pick a place we've never been to that we don't know the food very well, we're not really experienced eating it, and we'll make some really nice dishes from there. It's a really mm. good idea. It's fantastic. Because yeah. you're not alone. Everyone's got cookbooks groaning on their shelves that are just <laughs> haven't really been cooked from. So it's it's just a great way while we can't travel. So if you're changing what you what you're cooking the whole time, is there a standard thing that's always in your fridge? Yeah, a lot of yogurt and a lot of lemon juice. That's another thing like boyfriend always rolls his eyes because i'm adding <laughs> lemon juice to everything but i kind of love like really sharp flavors like, i used to eat lemons as a kid no um, wow well it's quite a, like a if you're having an indian meal you like as a almost like a condiment you always kind of have a slice of like a slice or two of lemon um just mm. to like squeeze over the food and i would always uh like spend the end of the meal just eating everyone's piece of lemon <laughs> mind sweeping the lemons i love yeah. it it's a good way to save food reduce food waste you know eating yeah. the lemons ward off scurvy you know never gonna happen to me we have spoken about uh bake-off and the kind of uh sensation that you became and you're a real uh, fan's favorite and a viewer's favorite you were also kind of like an internet pinup for quite uh, <laughs> uh in quite an intense way and there was a real sort of kerfuffle around that what was that like it was definitely that was a surreal experience um because <laughs> i've always been quite shy and well, i guess i still am quite shy to be honest so it was yeah it was weird having that sort of attention from people i don't i don't think i really knew what to do with it at the time. i mean i definitely didn't know what to do with it um yeah. but I, mean, I guess also in a way i kind of did want that attention so one of the reasons that I went on Bake Off. Like I wanted, I really loved the show. I was a massive fan. Mm. Mm-hmm. Also, I kind of thought like, oh, I'd been single for absolutely ages, mm. and I hate <laughs> dating. Just, <laughs> uh, just first dates, just loathe them because you're presenting. It's just so awkward. And you're presenting this mm. weird like version of yourself that you think will be acceptable to the other person, mm. and they're doing yeah. the same thing, and it's just yeah. oh, hate it. Um, and I kind of thought like, ah, oh, you know, going on Bake Off. Would, probably be quite a good way to find a boyfriend because because <laughs> um, people will just will see me for a way weeks. to do it just the yeah, easier exactly. way yeah, just... if you just if you want to find a relationship just you know compete on a baking competition um, but i thought actually it'll be a good way of um sort of filtering people because they'll see me mm. and they'll be like either they'll think i'm a complete plonker and have no interest or they'll be like oh you know this he's guy all right some cakes he, he seems all right yeah um and so, I mean, I guess it kind of all worked out really well because um, mm. it's sort of how I met my boyfriend, Matt. Um, so I was at Manchester Pride. Uh, it was a weekend when um, like the show was still on. I think it was maybe just before the final was on. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And he was out with his brother-in-law and his sister. Um, and they 
spotted me and he was too shy to come and say hello but his brother-in-law was like ah, i'll go say hello to him um, and then we all just got chatting and that's that's how we met and we've been together yeah. for four years now oh wow, wow. that's um, fantastic uh, you mentioned pride there and it was this thing that you kind of had to address as well wasn't it because there were a lot of the time there was like oh what is tamal's situation and i think that must have been really good for people to see you kind of being so out and upfront in that way and what was the process of that yeah as the show went on i thought i kind of thought like people would just know that i was gay like they would, <laughs> like i yeah i just i thought people would guess and i, I didn't want to yeah. cuz i had a twitter account uh, that i'd had for years and basically never posted anything on and i didn't want to make this sort of like coming out statement on Twitter. And I was like, oh, I've been out for years. So it would feel a bit mm. false um, mm. to say something. Uh, and I kind of thought like, well, I, you know, I don't need to because like people will just know. And then it got all the way to the final and people hadn't really clocked on. And then I thought, <laughs> well, I felt really awkward at that point. I was like, well, now I feel like I've, I'm being like, deliberately evasive by not having said <laughs> anything. It was maybe just a lot of wishful thinking. Just people, um, just, <laughs> yeah. Uh... yeah. So the way it worked, um, the Radio Times did an interview with us, um, uh, with the like four semi-finalists, hmm. and they asked, you know, if I was going out with anyone. Hmm. And I said, or they asked if I had a girlfriend. And I said, oh, no, it, it would be a boyfriend. If anything, mm. um, I know I don't have a boyfriend. And so that was mm. how I came out and I told all my friends this. But yeah, I mean, it was, it's interesting how I think, seeing how things have changed, like just mm. in the course of my lifetime and how, you know, I grew up at a time where Section 28 was still in force. And mm. so I think actually my school was great in terms of when we had, uh, you know, sex education, relationship education stuff that even when Section 28 was still in force, mm. they still acknowledged it. And I think, actually, that was a really helpful thing to hear. Mm. But just seeing how, you know, Bake Off's kind of been this incubator for loads of LGBT people <laughs> yeah. and yeah. how, like, accepted people are. It's great to see how mm. society has moved on. Not that things are perfect and, you know, absolutely fine now because they're not, obviously, there's still work to do. But, yeah, it has I feel like lucky to live in the time and the place that I am at the moment. Yeah. So you're very good at showing compassion and kindness to your patients, you know, as they're about to go under their anaesthetic. As a team, how do people support, especially at the moment, how are people showing kindness and support and compassion to you and your team? One thing that has just become really clear how important it is, um, is community and feeling like, you belong in a place and how important that is i think for well-being and i think how we i think we undervalue it completely as a society like i think um you know regardless of how healthy a person you are i mm. think if you were to ask the average person on the street like oh what are things that you need to do to be healthy they would say you know eat well exercise don't smoke these are i think those messages have got through to people um in all walks of life and i think more so now, people will be able to talk about well-being and mental health and mindfulness. But I think actually a huge part of that is just community. We're social animals. We need mm. to feel like we belong with the people around us. And I think as difficult as you know, work in the pandemic has been, there have been some really positive things at work. And uh, so I've worked in two hospitals, uh, two different hospitals since this all started. And the first hospital, they divided us up into groups. Um, so uh, like mixed skill groups, like consultants down to the most junior doctors. And we were always with those 
groups of people. And so although the shifts, especially in the beginning phase, were stressful, busy shifts, uh, you got really used to that teamworking aspect. And it was really nice knowing that I would see exactly the same faces on each shift. I mean, maybe it wouldn't mm. have been nice if I didn't get on with them, but they were all lovely. <laughs> um, and that that made it just so much easier to deal with anything, I think. And then the mm. second hospital that I worked at, again, was just really friendly. But they've had um, a program of events recently. These um, They've had like a wellbeing team who's organised all these events. And so we've had things like, you know, book club um and then <laughs> I, I did like a zoom baking session for people um so we had all people loads of different people who work in the department dialing yeah. in with their families and we were all baking together and i was like oh th- this sort of stuff is is so important actually and mm. i think um you know i'm really lucky that um you know i have a partner and mm. although we haven't been able to see family and friends anywhere near as much like at least we've had each other but there are people you know people who are single who've been really isolated during all mm. this and it's made me think like actually community is just so important to our well-being and all mm. so much of life stresses are just made so much more manageable by having people that you can talk to about them yeah mm. yeah tomorrow you've been a fantastic guest thank you so much for taking the time for joining us for um sharing about disastrous 10 year old birthday cakes hope your mum forgives you for that one yeah thank you so much this has been great thank you you've been listening to life on a plate from waitrose i'm jimmy famarewa thank you to my co-host alison okavi and our guest tamal ray to learn more about the series go to waitrose.com forward slash podcast and please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts